Douglas, uh, that was great. Thank you for uh, for having joined us here today on this uh, anniversary. And you also said it at the uh, beginning, and I like that a lot, that the at the beginning of this invasion, the intelligence product was there. A lot of data was there. The Ukrainians had built even an entrapment for the Russians who believed that they had infiltrated Ukraine. And then they found themselves in a, so to say, in a black box, in a, in, in a Potemkin village. They pressed the buttons and nothing was happening. Wonderful. Now it's going forward. Today, another A-50 was shot down. That will change the way they gather intelligence and they can't replace it easily. They have six of them left. That's not many. Um, what else would you expect us to do in order to degrade the capabilities, the reconnaissance, EW and intelligence capabilities of the Russians? And what can Ukraine, with the help of the Allies, do? Well, what's hurt the Russians most since the beginning of this has been their challenges with logistics, their challenges with communications, and actually leveraging the intelligence that they have. I think they've probably gotten a little better in terms of intelligence because they they recognize the mistakes they made. I like to think, and uh, you know, they're they're going to make some some course corrections at least at the tactical level, not not necessarily strategic. Strategic. Putin already knows what he thinks he knows, and no one's going to tell him anything different. And that actually could serve to the benefit of the Ukrainians and 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 its supporters, right? Because he's going to consistently overestimate his capacity and the capacity of, of his forces on the ground. So we've seen uh, explosion. We talked about this last time that the Russians are, are doing better on communications now. They've actually gotten some of the Starlinks, ironically, that the Ukrainians have been using from from Elon Musk. But, you know, all these all these contraptions have vulnerabilities as well. And certainly, you know, targeting the command and control that the Russians exercise is it will be at the top of the list, as well as, you know, intelligence behind enemy lines. And the Ukrainians have done that very well. Now, again, trying to be balanced, as I always do. I mean, that's that's what an intel person does. Uh, the Russians have made adjustments across the board. So they've made adjustments on, on the battlefield uh, militarily. They've made adjustments intel-wise to try to address things that, that they have done wrong. And and they've, they've made some adaptations that we then have to be a step ahead of. They've been able to tighten up their counterintelligence because, you know, we action the intelligence we've collected. So they're, they have a better sense of where their vulnerabilities are. They know their their comms are, are vulnerable, which is one of the reasons they turn to Starlink. And they'll continue to try to adapt even if Starlink is taken away from them, if we're somehow able to kind of like render those devices inoperative. Uh, and they're, they're no doubt always good about compartmentations. They're going to be better still. But they can't proceed without intelligence themselves. They still have to disseminate and distribute information. And that's where vulnerabilities will be exploited by the Ukrainians who have done very well at that, as well as I'd like to think the United States and, and its allies. So, you know, Intel is going to continue to be a, a, a difference maker. I still think the Ukrainians and I think its supporters maintain the advantage, both in terms of technical intelligence collection, but also UMIT. You know, there's a lot more Russians who are disturbed by what their country is doing and suffering the consequences that are going to be willing to step up and do something that will further compromise Russian capabilities. And, you know, we're not going to see this 
publicly acknowledged, obviously, because it's spy work, but we're going to see the results, I think, on the battlefield. I was just about to hand over to Alan because he wants to uh, create the arc to China. This brings me to the thing. Do you think that the Russians, the Russians are very, very precise at safeguarding their own intelligence? It is very unlikely that they will work with the uh, with the Chinese military intelligence and uh, uh, the others, right? As opposed to the Ukrainians. Uh, I, I don't. I wouldn't quite say that. I, I think that um, the Russians and the Chinese and the Iranians and the North Koreans. One thing they do share is counterintelligence information about their adversaries. Oh yeah, they'll continue to do that. Sorry, yeah. no, no, I, I was just trying to differentiate military intelligence. They cannot afford to share, but. On counterintelligence, they'll probably play ball. Yes, right, and and they'll continue to do that. And that that they they've leveraged over the over the years along with their friends, and certainly that will be also more the price of support that they're getting from the likes of China and and Iran and North Korea. And we've already seen the price that they were paying in terms of providing military technology and aid to Iran. I'm sure there's stuff going on with North Korea and and China. Of course, is just profiting from all this at least economically. Uh, Doug, I'm wondering, uh, what are your expectations for how uh, the Russian-Chinese-Iranian alliance, and it is an alliance, uh, will operate in the near future? Uh, and, and secondly, how does the United States uh, and its allies around the world uh, evaluate uh, this alliance? Is it, is it firm? Is it strong? Uh, how do we confront it? Yeah, Alan, I think you use interesting terms, and, and that really raises the question. Is it really an alliance? I, I wouldn't call it that. I think one of the big advantages that uh, liberal democracies have is they genuinely have alliances. They generally uh, integrate. They work. Uh, they interoperate. That's not the case. These are partners that have mutual interests. But there's and I and I think General Ryan was even saying it. There's not a lot of love there between any of these folks. The Russians and the Chinese have centuries of of animosity and war and conflict. And these are folks that think in the long term. I mean, I, I'm sure your listeners, particularly your listeners across Europe, understand. You know, you know, these people think in terms of multiple centuries, not just the last few years. The Iranians, likewise have a long and unpleasant history with Russia along its border. And there's no love lost there. And the Iranians still think of the Russians as godless communists and such. But they're convenient bedfellows. And they're going to help each other out, but to a point. And the fact that they don't have the great cooperation and collaboration that the liberal democracies have by virtue of NATO and the EU and, and, the, and the Asian partnerships that, that exist is a tremendous advantage that, that we leverage that they're simply never going to be able to, to equal. And we'll continue to, I would think, leverage the vulnerabilities where there is mistrust between these partners and there is questionable you know, willingness to provide the, the crown jewels, lest it be used back against them or exposed to their own enemies. And, and, and uh, Doug, I'm wondering, uh, how adept uh, is the United States um, and its democratic allies around the world at, at, uh, at, at promoting these divisions uh, existing between Russia, Iran, uh, and China? Uh, are we able to succeed as well as Russia succeeds in, in dividing uh, 
democratic alliances around the world? You know, there's there's limitations on covert influence for liberal democracies because they have laws that to protect the privacy of, of their own people. That imposes some limits, but there's still a lot of sinister and nefarious things that uh, Western Intel services are, are good at. And Lord knows I've had enough people tell me I'm sinister to know. So there's all sorts of various covert action capers, but they have to be done within prescribed legal limitations, which autocracies don't have to worry about. So I, I think you see more the use of unclassified intelligence that is being leveraged, uh, particularly by the United States. Um, I'm sure that's an area that, that we'll continue to see exploited. There are entire offices now about this. There was a, an article just written by uh, the Assistant Secretary for uh, INR, Intelligence Research and State Department, about how the Department of State is, is using intelligence diplomacy more than ever and the number of requests for declassifying intel to use to leverage in diplomatic engagements, uh, either on the plus side or you know, or might think on the, on the negative side, compromising. So I, I think we'll continue to see a lot more of that. I'm kind of of two minds on that because you know I think you need to action intelligence, otherwise what's the point? But I think you gotta be careful about how much you wanna declassify and expose because there's kind of a long-term payment in that in terms of compromising your sources and methods. And we've paid some of these prices already beforehand. And uh, a couple of these um, high profile cases of um, traitors and the likes have unfortunately already hurt us, right? I mean, the last two decades didn't look too good in that regard. Well, yeah, I mean, there's it, it's, it's, it's the nature of the business, right? And there's going to be spies on both sides. But by and large, you know, spies who have spied against Russia are... are have done it for ideological reasons for the for the most part as opposed to the mercy mercenary reasons we see more akin to to western spies and you know that's 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 awful but there's probably going to be a limitation to that because you know it's it's essentially crime if you would and if everybody you know extorted and, and did all this kind of stuff in the West, there'd be a lot more of that kind of extortion and crime going on. So I'm a little reasonably optimistic that to open societies, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged, again, a double-edged thing that we, we sometimes pay the price for freedoms. But I continue to see historically, just over the long term, a trend where autocracies are are going to leak. Uh, they just will. As, and the harder and tighter they try to control their people, the more they're actually creating the conditions that liberal democracies can exploit from an intelligence point of view. Yeah, uh, autocratic societies typically don't heal quickly when they leak either. They're very brittle. No, um, and, and, I, and I've, got to, I've got to go soon, unfortunately, although I, I might try to pop on later, but I just want to kind of part with one, one thought, if I, if I may. I'm confident still over the long term no matter how you define this, Russia is going to lose. And I see vulnerabilities internal to Russia, despite the bluffster, despite the control that they have on, on social media and news. Because as, as I'm listening to you all talk about, they're on a war economy. And Putin's ability to maintain power has been based on sort of a longstanding Russian willingness, culturally, to give up certain freedoms politically in exchange for a better life or in exchange for a more just distribution of, of what what the country has in terms of riches. 
Putin had done that more or less up until this war. And now people are suffering. And people are suffering in terms of blood, family members who are being lost, and in terms of treasure. And a lot of Russia's economic stability right now is artificial, which they can only sustain for so long, particularly as they go on to a war economy. And those who are really controlling Russia are such a small, tight circle, which you know, might seem good in the sense that you can protect yourself better, but it also makes you more vulnerable to how many more people outside that circle want to change things. So I'm, I am keeping my fingers crossed that Ukraine gets the aid that it very much needs to fight on for all of us worldwide against Russia's aggression. But I also have confidence that over the long term, Russia is going to continue stumbling and they will ultimately lose this war. That is a good parting shot. Doug, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us at the start of this marathon on this very important anniversary. And thank you for being, uh, yeah, good guidance for all of us here on a regular basis. Well, thanks so much to all of you, and I wish you all the best. And, and my, my prayers and hearts and thoughts go out to the people fighting this war. Absolutely. Slava Ukraini. Slava.